Let's take our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 17, and we'll look at tonight at chapter 17 and 18. There should be just uh, two more lessons after this. I said we wanted to move through the book of Revelation uh, quickly, and then I've got... Uh, I'm still working on our next Bible study, but it's, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll have, not quite ready to announce it yet, but we've got something in the works. So you just have to trust me for that one, but I'm in the planning stages right now. So tonight's topic, and we've had some interesting lessons, obviously, as we study Revelation. Some are encouraging and some are a little bit scary sometimes. Well, tonight is a little bit interesting, and tonight, as you see on your handout, we're looking at the rise and fall, oh, and there's a typo, the rise and fall and fall, it should just be the rise and fall, the rise and fall of Babylon the Great, Babylon the Great. I think often we think of, and if you've heard of, you're familiar with the idea of Babylon, you're, probably your mind would go way back in time. So if I talk about, if I mention Babylon, what, what comes to mind, those of you that You've studied some of these things, the Bible. We're typically not thinking future, we're thinking past. When we think Babylon, we're thinking of what things? Anybody? Daniel and the Lion's Den, what were you saying, Kathy? Tower of Babel. Yeah, you're actually correct about that. The Tower of Babel is really the first, that, that was located in what would become Babylon. So you're thinking back to the things like the Tower of Babel, the Babylonian Empire, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But really, the Bible shows us that Babylon as a system, and this is what we're going to see tonight, Babylon as a system has been with us from the book of Genesis even today, and Babylon has a, there's a future significance. So let's just take some time and take a look at this. If you remember... The previous chapter we were in, we were looking at the seven vial or bowl judgments that would be poured out. But now in chapter 17 and 18, the focus is turned again to, like I said, Babylon the Great. And so what you'll see here is when we think about Babylon, I'll give you this, I'll kind of give you this right at the beginning. What we're talking about is a one world system a one-world government, a one-world religion, and that is, well, what we'll see as Babylon the Great. So let's begin here in Revelation chapter number 17. By the way, thank you so much for being here tonight. It was good to, it's good to see a church full and here with our children, see another strong week with our children's programs. Uh, really encouraging. So let's begin our study now. Revelation 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment. Now, brace yourself, there's some strong language coming in this passage. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So, immediately here we're struck with this, this description, uh, shockingly, of a, of a prostitute. Where, where is this headed? Now, verse number two, if that didn't get your attention, here we go now, verse number two. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy 
having seven heads and ten horns. Now, all these are going to be significant. Well, it's going to actually explain itself in a few minutes. But it says seven heads and ten horns. So the woman is on a beast. So there's this this union, this um, this alliance between the woman and the beast. And the, the woman is des- is described as we just read. And uh, and the the beast with seven heads and ten horns. In verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. So there's pictures of riches and, and glamorous description. Decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This is a pretty intense description. So you see, um, you, you see the, the woman riding the beast. The beast has the, 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 seven, the seven heads, the ten horns. And the description is, is in very expensive clothes and, and really a, an excessive display of wealth and, and lavish, uh, lavish surroundings and holding a cup, uh, really representing, representing uh, excess and drunkenness. But in the cup, it's... it's these abominations and filthiness, it says. Now, verse 5, and upon her head was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh he must continue a short space. And the beast and the beast that was and is not. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the women which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Everybody follow all that? You got it? 
<laughs> that's, that's a pretty intense chapter, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? So how do we think of this? What, what do we understand? Let's just kind of work, work back a little bit and start to think, what are some, if you're, if you're looking at this for the first time, and a lot of times when you, when you study the Scripture, obviously you uh, compare Scripture with Scripture. Sometimes it's helpful to take in the whole context to kind of pull away some of the themes and then dive in a little bit more deeply. So what were some things that you noticed? If you were reading that carefully, and this is almost like a, let's just do this together, it's almost like a bit of a brainstorm here. What are some things that you noticed as we went out, we went through here? What, what stood out to you? Anybody? Mike, always, I can always count on you to jump in first. So, Okay, so there's really strong language here. So the, the, the I, I think this is both literal and figurative. I think the idea of the, of the sexual sin here is both uh, literal and figurative. So we'll, we'll say more about that. So yeah, there's definitely some really strong language in here. Frank, what did you notice? That's a good point. That's that. I think that's probably one of the most important takeaways in understanding this. Is often in the Book of Revelation we're seeing one scene, but as it was explained, some of these things have already happened, some have not yet happened. So in uh, regarding the time that the writing pertains to, some of it's happening right at that moment. So that's a really good observation. Yeah, Jim. Okay, so let me just comment on that. You're right. Very often when the people of God left the Lord, it was, it was compared to a spouse being unfaithful. And so that has a lot to do with this passage. Now, in what, under, under what circumstance, so what were they doing at those times when the prophets would accuse them of this unfaithfulness? Right, they left the worship, the true worship of God, and they moved into the false pagan worship of the Canaanite nations that surrounded them. So that's a, that's a very significant part of this, the false worship. Somebody else, something that stood out to you. Yes, sir. Mm. It's very possible that this is literally speaking of the, the geographical city of Babylon. I would agree with that. Not everyone interprets it that way. Some people say that it's not necessarily referring to the geographical location of Babylon, but the, uh, the spiritual, and that's why it's referred to as mystery Babylon. I'm kind of ambivalent on that one. I think it could be either. If all of Revelation is fulfilled very literally, I would not be surprised at all. But I do also think that it could be just referring to Babylon as a spiritual system and not necessarily a geographical location. But you're right, it could very well be. Well, it most certainly, if it is geographical, it most certainly is the other. So you're right. Somebody else, something you notice as we move through here. Yes.
Okay, so this alliance between Babylon, the woman, and these world powers. And that's significant. Okay? There's also something that you might not have noticed. Look down with me at verse number 12. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten what? Ten kings which have received what? How can you be a king with no kingdom? Because they get their power from who? From the beast. So they're like vice regents. They're kings, but they have subjected themselves to the beast. Anybody else? Something that you've noticed in here as you read, as you're looking through this. I really appreciate you participating because I have I try to do this with this Bible study to make sure that that, that I'm not just you know, it's Wednesday. We all had busy work days, but when you get in and you start to find and mine the information out, it keeps us all more engaged. I think we learn more. So now let's put it together. What do we how do we put this how do we put this all together? Well, you do need a little bit of insight. The you can you can study this and we don't have a lot of time, so you're just gonna have to read this in the book of Genesis on your own. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, there's a man mentioned by the name of Nimrod. How many of you ever heard that name before? How many of your dad ever called you a Nimrod before? All right. So anyway, um, you've heard that you've heard that 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 name Nimrod. Now, Nimrod is mentioned both in biblical literature and in ancient Sumerian literature, going back to your history of Siv, you know, right now, in the Mesopotamian region, I mean, at the cradle of civilization, everything, even non-Christians have to agree that our understanding of human history, even if you're an evolutionist, you understand that our understanding of, of human history really goes back to Mesopotamia. That's where recorded, and we know because that's where mankind was created, but I'm just saying for argument's sake, you can look back at history. Everything started in Mesopotamia. And all of these Sumerian religions uh, had similarities. And we know from the biblical record that all of these people consolidated in the city that many people believe Nimrod founded, which in our Bible is referred to as the city that, that Kathy mentioned, which is Babel. Now, what was significant in that, in that first city of Babel. What took place there? There's a tower constructed, and the people say, we are going to build this tower, and we are going to ascend to heaven. Now, is there anything wrong with building a skyscraper and getting a good view? Well, no. What was there? There's a spiritual component. What are they saying? They're saying and they didn't believe in the true God. They believe in, in their false deities. They, they believed that by building this tower, they were going to live among the gods. And they would become gods themselves. Now, what was it that enabled them, according to the biblical record of Babel, what was it that enabled them to, to actually be, be very successful in this venture? They all spoke the same language, and they all had what? They all had one government. It's a one world. It's literally. Uh, and I'm not. So I'm not going down a conspiracy road tonight. But but literally, it's a one world government, 
and a one-world religion in at the Tower of Babel. And so God says to the heavenly council, he says, let's go down and do what? Confound their languages. And the Bible says that, that God has set the bounds of the nations. That it is actually, and you can make an argument biblically, that it is actually national identity is a biblical concept. The only time a one world government is going to work is when? Well, it's when Jesus is the king of the one world government. Because every time, and you trace it out through the ages, every time a government has amassed sent great centralized power to itself and, and taken in other nations, has that been used for good or for evil? Just a very basic understanding of world history would tell you it's always been evil. Power corrupts. What's the expression? Was it Lord Acton? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So you had the, the Lord confounding their languages at Babel. But there are some interesting historical facts that come out of this. There was a, the, all of the ancient pagan religions bear similarities. They're all very similar. They have different expressions, and this isn't a lesson on these, those religions. You'll have to study that on your own. But you'll find that all of the pagan religions flow out of the, the beliefs of those early, early pagans in Mesopotamia centered in Babel, or what we would know as Babylon. Yeah, the ziggurats, you see the ziggurats, the pyramids, you see this concept replicated all, I mean, you see them, you see them in South America, right? It's, it's in Mexico. It's remarkable. So, there's another, there, there was also a, um, there was also another uh, instance of, anyway, lost my train of thought. So, <laughs> let's go on to, let's go on now. So we're looking at this concept of what is, what is Babylon as a, uh, as it, it appears in the book of Revelation, okay? So, you see this idea of, in Revelation 17, it's going all the way back to, uh, all the way back to what Genesis 10 describes in the Tower of Babel, Okay? So, now there's some other things that you guys have already, you've pointed out in this study so far. So you found that there's, my dad mentioned, there's an alliance, right? An alliance, so, so the woman has the name, the woman has the name on her head, which is Mystery Babylon the Great. But then there's the beast, which, which are the, has the seven heads, the ten horns. So, if we're identifying Mystery Babylon as the pagan system of the ancient times that has persisted all throughout human history and will exist at the end, then how do we identify this beast? What do we notice about the beast? What is, who, is, who would this be? Well, I think you'd, you'd, you'd see that it's a, world, it's, a, it's a world power, right? So let's move down to verse number... Um, Let's go to verse number eight, nine. Here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. This is a little tricky. 
as I've studied, the best I understand that you're looking at major world empires here. I think that most likely that's the best explanation. That, and we've seen major world empires rise, and we've seen major world empires fall. So what were some of the empires that, that we've seen? Really, the first one was Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Yeah? Yeah, that would be in more... It wasn't really a world power in its day, though, although it was an empire. So you've got the, you've got the Babylonian Empire, which was conquered by the... Anybody know? Well, okay, so this is... All right, so the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were overtaken by the... The Greeks, right? You have the Greeks overtaken by the Romans. So you have these successions of world powers. I think what you're looking at is uh, five are fallen. One is the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. But then there's an eighth. The eighth is the beast. So I think we would have to identify the eighth as who we've studied in previous weeks. The eighth is the empire, the rule of the Antichrist. That would be the one that's spoken of in this future day in the book of Revelation. That is the Antichrist. So, now what happens is the Antichrist, he achieves what every, he achieves what every, every dictator has tried to achieve throughout the millennia. And what does he do? He's achieved it. He's established. What is it? Okay, but what has he achieved? I mean, it's, it's, I'm, he's got it all. The one world order. He controls all of it. Some empires have come close, but he will be the one that achieves it perfectly. And he will use an alliance of ten kings. You see the ten. So there's the, the, the seven mountains or empires. They will lead us to this alliance of ten kings that are under the control of the Antichrist. So, you've got a one-world government and a one-world what? Religion. One-world government and a one-world religion. It has never happened. I don't believe it will ever happen until these days that are spoken of in the book of the Revelation. That's where it's headed. But now you'll see there's going to be a coming destruction or treachery in Babylon. Treachery in Babylon. Sounds like a movie title. I like that. I just had to write it down. And, you know. So here we go. It says in verse number, verse number uh, 16, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall, shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So what's going to happen to the alliance? The alliance is what? It's going to break apart. It's not going to last. And the, the government is going to destroy this false church of its, of its day. Now some people have made lots of... Um, They've made lots of assumptions and speculations. If you go back to the days of the Reformation, the Reformers were convinced, I mean, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this was speaking about the Roman church. They were convinced. I, 
we can't make those kinds of assumptions because it's, it's not clear. We just need to study the Scripture and know, and know what we can know. But either way, in the coming day, in the days ahead, there will be this alliance, and then it will break apart with treachery. Why? Verse 17, because God's not going to allow it. God will not allow this to continue. In verse 17, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Interestingly enough, this is the same thing that happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old, in the Old Testament, he thought he was doing what he wanted and exercising his power. But whose will was he accomplishing? God's will. The same thing is going to happen again. And so they will, um, in verse number 18, that woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And so now we'll just take, I I won't take as long in chapter 18 because chapter 18 is going to just describe the fall of the city. Babylon is fallen. Verse uh, Verse one of chapter 18 And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. Maybe that was my accidental uh, mistitle of the lesson tonight, right? The rise and fall and fall. Well, I was with the angel, so I, I didn't realize I hadn't made a mistake. So it says... That Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies." This is just a warning to the rulers of today, I would say. It's a ruler, it's a warning to all rulers who have ever existed. Isn't it? It's amazing that I was watching the news just, uh, or reading in the news just the other day as we think about the warfare that's taken place in Ukraine. Uh, somebody did a uh, pictorial represent, uh, presentation, show all the pictures of Vladimir Putin's yacht as the people of Russia are are struggling under sanctions, Ukraine is bombed, and they were just showing some perspective to see the opulence and the wealth that this world leader lives in. Has that not been the story of evil despots throughout history? I mean, it just certainly has been. And so this is the, the great irony and justice that in the end, all of these kingdoms, all their power and all their wealth is brought to nothing. God's will will be accomplished. And so let us take courage that the, the, the primary things in life are not the, measured in dollars, they're not measured in land or bank accounts or any, any of those things because these are the people that had it all. These are the, 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 the false religious leaders, the, the government. They had everything, but they will be brought to ruin. And I heard another voice, verse 4, from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. 
that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. This is interesting. There is a warning to believers to not cozy up too closely to the system of this world. Right? I mean, that's a warning that how, who, are, who should we belong to? If we know, Peter would say, Peter says in, the, in his epistle, you know the, what the end is going to be? Because you, Christian, because we know what the end is going to be, how should we be living today? And we know that we don't fear the judgment, but just by association with the world system, there is, we, we, can, we can bring needless suffering into our lives. Verse 5, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. So as, as, as intense her pleasure, make her sorrow equally intense, doubly. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. If God be for us, who can be against us? There is a power. Every ruler, every ruler will bow before King Jesus someday. It helps to kind of make sense you know, just think about it for a minute. For those who, who reject Christianity, they reject the Bible, what justice will ever be served to men like Adolf Hitler? What justice is ever served to someone like that? All the crime and, and, and horror that was perpetrated on the world, where is the justice? Yeah, the justice is eternal. But without a holy and righteous judge, without a perfect and righteous God, there is no justice for these those who would bring wickedness into the world. But the scriptures teach us that all will be made right one day. All will be made right. Because, verse 9, The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when she shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment. Oh, now they're far away. Now they don't want to even get close. Saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour. For in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all uh, tine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of uh, vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Boy, Sure had a lot, but it's all gone in an hour. For ancient worlds, it was probably difficult for them to understand how a great empire could be brought to its knees in an hour. But we, we, we know 
with modern weaponry how these things could come to pass very quickly. Verse 14, And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all the things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. See the difference in reaction? We have verse after verse after verse describing the people of the world, the, the, the people with the money, the people with the power, the beautiful people, the in control people, just lamenting and weeping and weeping and weeping. And then just one simple verse, verse number 20, is the perspective from heaven. Rejoice. Thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. God will have His day. That's why this period we're referring to, or this period we're studying is often referred to as the day of the Lord. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever crafty be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So, to bring it to just a, a simple statement of application for us. Listen, I know many Christians that get very caught up in fighting the one world government. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They write about it, they talk about it, they do it. And, and I think it comes from a, from a, I think it comes from a well-meaning and a biblical place. But folks, the Bible says it's going to come. We will not be stopping it. Someday, it is going to come. Our number one objective, our number one object, objective is to rejoice that the righteous day is coming, but in the meantime, escape the corruption of this great city and bring as many out as we can with us. I mean, we are, we are to be a more righteous lot in a more wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, it was said of Lot, it was said of Lot that it was, he only, all that Lot could deliver was just himself. He had a warning. He knew, he knew that judgment was coming for Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't stop it. He couldn't change it. He couldn't have enough rallies or give enough sermons or enough Bible studies. He couldn't do anything to stop it. But he could do one thing. He could what? 
he could escape, and he could bring others with him. But sadly, he failed in that mission. You and I, we've got the lessons of history. We've got the, the, the warnings of the Scripture, and we have the indwelling and empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus said, Occupy till I come. We build his kingdom, and we escape the kingdoms and the rule and the power of this world. All hail King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we've had this time tonight to um, study your word. And Lord, these passages of prophecy, they, they can be challenging and difficult. But Lord, we're encouraged that, Lord, that not that you are, that you are on our side, but that we are on your side and that, that you are holy and righteous. Lord, I pray that our lives would, that, that we would walk worthy of the vocation you've called us to that we would walk in grace and obedience. Use us in this generation that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.